everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Wrestling Archives podcast, formerly All the WrestleManians. I'm your co-host, Tim Hackman. And I'm your co-host, Rich Sigwald. Welcome. We got a great show for you today. We hope you caught our recent episodes talking to Invincible Vince Valor from uh, Empire State Wrestling in Buffalo. Uh, Vince was a great guy. We had a good time talking to him. Did you like talking yeah. to Vince? I did like talking to Vince. I liked his cat. Uh, I feel horrible <laughs> about his, his torn pectoral muscle. Man. And... And I hope he has a quick recovery. Um, I'm just like, I can't, like just talking about it makes my my legs tingle a little bit. But then, uh, just the thought of like he can't work, and you know, and then even after after like the three months in the immobilizer, as they call it, yeah. And then he's got to be doing like physical therapy and stuff, and he's going to lose all that strength. And man, I yeah. just feel bad for him. Yeah, it seems like he's a dude that has a hard time sitting still too. So it's, uh, I'm sure it's extra yeah. tough. Uh, so we're you know we're sending him the best, but we appreciate him coming on the show, learning a little bit about the up, up it's not tech. What is it? Upstate and it's Western New York uh, wrestling scene, um, and uh, and some of the shows and stuff he's done up there. Some of their stars, their talent. Um, I see they have a show coming up actually with Two Cold Scorpio, who is relevant to today's show, which is yeah, uh, sure. a fun a fun coincidence. <laughs> Uh, we hope you also caught our episode on Capital Combat '90 with uh, the one and only RoboCop. What a what a cluster of a show! Um, I'm still I'm, my head's still not quite right. I've been having I, very dis- disturbing dreams. It's no, I'm not sure how to process it. My therapist yeah. has been no help. I don't know. But you know, wrestling is real. <laughs> if wrestling is not real, then explain RoboCop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was um, that was just a mess. I. I, I don't know what they were thinking, how they thought they, that would work. Uh, and it's it's a very similar theme as to what we're going to be discussing today. Like, why did you think this was going to work? Yeah, it's a terrible kinda, idea. Kind of thing, yeah. yeah I, I, I'm guessing it went something like this. You guys know what would be a good idea? Fucking RoboCop, man. RoboCop. RoboCop. You know what? You know what? Those WWF fuckers up in New York, they got the Ninja Turtles. We're going to get RoboCop. <laughs> the Predator wasn't available. No. Oh. So it's, uh, you know, we're we're just past the new year here, and everybody's talking about the Iron Claw still in the movie theaters. Um, and I know you haven't seen it yet, so I'm curious if any of our no. listeners have, have heard, have watched it, if you have any thoughts about it, you know, shoot it to us. Um, somebody in uh, the roundtable on Facebook asked about it, actually, which was yeah. kind of what made me think about it. Um, so I did see it. I thought it was I thought it was okay. I mean, I, I think maybe a B minus. I think some of the performances are really decent. Uh, I thought actually Zac Efron did a good job of sort of projecting the kind of, um, I don't want to say blankness, I think, that you kind of associate with, uh, with Kevin Von Erich. He just, he comes across as a little bit, um, just not all that not all that bright, and I have no idea about the man himself, but the the character anyway that uh, Zac Efron is playing is is massive. He's huge. He's, I have no idea how he got that big without illicit substances, but I'm guessing he just he ate his what Omaha steaks or whatever. Um, but there's a sort of uh, yeah, just kind of kind of blankness to him that I think is intentional. Um, either way, it was pretty good. Um, to me, the standout was really Jeremy Allen White, uh, who I love in The Bear. That show is fantastic uh, as Carrie Von Erich. Um, but I think, you know, the problem I had maybe is this problem I have with all kind of like biopic movies, like 
you know what the highlights of and lowlights are, right? So you kind of just sit there waiting for them to tick off. You're like, okay, now David's got to die. All right, now, uh, now Mike's got to kill himself. All right, now, uh, Carrie's going to kill himself. And there's an actually another brother, Chris, who also died by suicide, who they just omit entirely. Right. Um, <laughs> poor Chris, uh, he's just he just cut out of the thing altogether. Um, but I thought the performances were good. The um, Holt uh, McElhaney, who plays uh, Fritz, is really good. That guy is awesome. He was in Mindhunters, and he was in um, Lights Out on FX, which is one of my favorite shows ever. Um, so anyway, give it a give it a whirl. Um, shoot us an email or uh, something on socials if you get a chance to watch it and let us know what you think. It's always a, a good time when you get like a big, uh, you know, big tent uh, wrestling movie out there, and I'm sure it'll be up for some awards maybe yeah i always get concerned uh when these these things uh come out just because similar to like while it works in the young rock the portrayals of other real wrestlers uh, because they won't be like developed as characters just become like caricatures of them and it's so like if you watch the young rock, the macho man is a caricature of the, of the macho man. Ric Flair is a character of Ric Flair all the way through everybody. And so it's just kind of a, a, a paranoia that I have that happens with these, with these types of movies. And I hope uh, when I see it, that that doesn't happen. And then you're, you're talking of the, of like ticking off the life events because you're, you're familiar already with the subject. It is always an issue. Um, as well but as long as they're put together cinematically properly it, it, it doesn't bother me too much yeah. but i guess i i have a feeling that's probably why we both like walk hard so much is because it's a <laughs> fake biopic and that like we don't know what's coming and what the events of his life are uh so uh, but they're also can, like note for note like what you would expect right like even to the right. to the extent where he's like this is a dark fucking period yeah <laughs> during this dark yeah. period yeah it. and uh um, so great and going nose blind i assume carrie von eric went nose blind and <laughs> i can't smell i'm gonna oh, light man. a candle tonight. so good yeah. they don't Anyways. need to make any more music uh biopics because walk hard just it covers them all yeah uh, walk the line oh no wait walk hard yeah what did i yeah, say walk hard. um every, yeah, every time it Every time a new one comes out, I'm like, I'm just going to watch Walk Hard again. I don't need yeah. an Elton John movie or a Freddie Mercury movie. We It's covered. Yeah, I will say the Elton John one, Rocket Man, was pretty pretty good. But it's but you would hate it because it's a musical. <laughs> and so... I don't like the musicals. Oh, I do yeah. like Elton John. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, um, there's something else I was going to say about that. Oh, this is... this is I'm going to out myself here with some a bit of wrestling ignorance. Um, we've watched a fair number of mid-90s uh, shows that had Carrie Von Erich on him. I had no fucking idea that that dude was wrestling on one foot all that time. Like, to the point where when the movie gets to that part and he's he's going around on crutches and he's missing his foot after his accident, I'm like, my brain wouldn't... It wouldn't, like... It wouldn't. I'm like, wait. Like I had had to like step out into the hallway and look up his Wikipedia page to try to get the um, the chronology correct. Right. I have no idea. Yeah. Apparently, yeah, I'm a moron. He he was. Well, I mean, I don't think that's that's pure common knowledge out there. Because I mean, yeah. if your only exposure to Kerry Von Erich was with the WWF, then you're definitely like missing like 
a massive chunk of his career. Yeah. And honestly, that's just about all I've seen of him is the WWF stuff. I've seen a little bit of the WCCW, but I wouldn't I wouldn't consider myself knowledgeable about that whatsoever. I did just happen to already know that he had lost his foot at some point. Yeah. The circumstances, I don't know. So I'll have to watch the movie. So don't spoil <laughs> me. I won't. Um, well, and actually, so I did a little bit of reading. Apparently, he didn't really even tell most of the guys that he worked with. Roddy Piper apparently mentions it in his autobiography, and Bret Hart also mentioned it in his, which I had read, but I don't remember. Um, but he even went so far as to like shower with his boots on, um, and he felt really, it, you know, this is per Wikipedia, of course, but he felt very self-conscious about it and sort of ashamed about it, like his whole life uh, after, mm. you know, after he lost it. And so he really went out of his way to make sure folks didn't know that it was missing and that, um, you know, didn't like see him as, you know, handicapped or damaged in, in some way. So um, anyway, fascinating. So I learned something from the movie. That's always good when you learn something. Yeah. So, um, well, so. Yeah, so we we have a weird one for you today. Um, I'm excited to talk about it. I'm a little concerned about just how we even process this, but uh, but let's let's get into it. Today we're going to talk about the NWA uh, WCW slash New Japan Pro Wrestling Collision in Korea show from August 28th and 29th of 1995. Um, took place in the Rengrado 1st of May Stadium in Pyongyang, North Korea. The tagline is Two Legends, One Country. Um, and this thing is something else. Uh, it yeah. was attended by something over 300 and some thousand, kind of depending on who you Supposedly, believe. Supposedly, yeah. yeah the, the most accurate estimates seem to be about 150,000 for the first day and 160,000 for the second day. Uh, so, of course, they add those up. Um, there's different numbers, of course, depending on who's reporting. North Korea claims that the first day was 190. Um, the reported gates were between seven and a half and eight and a half million for those two. Um, but again, a lot of if we watched the dark side of the ring about the show, an attempt to yeah. kind of get a little bit of background, and they, of course, claimed that most of the people there were kind of like forced <laughs> to attend on. Uh, on pain of potential imprisonment yeah. or, or execution, so it's hard to hard to know. Um, but that's was, that's what we want to get into today. Yeah, it was interesting too in that dark side of the ring that like Eric Bischoff is definitely towing the line of the North Korean report of of attendance as well. Um, yeah. he, he had a little bit of a look of fear in his eye through that entire episode too. So I don't know if he thinks that like Korean ops are still following him. Um, I'm going to rewind a little bit the YouTube that we watched of this. So this show is only available on YouTube. You're not going to find it on, on the Peacock and there's multiple beliefs behind why it's not on the Peacock. But first the YouTube video labels this as an NWA show, but the NWA, uh, WCW had separated from the NWA two years prior to this. So I don't know why that the person that uploaded that video slapped the NWA tag on it, but uh, they did anyway, but who cares? Because um, uh, there's there's bigger fish to fry on this. Like so, there's belief that um, Peacock has never uh, WWE has never put this one up on the Peacock because it would break uh, their storytelling of the fact that like the Silver Dome and WrestleMania was the biggest draw, and then the the WrestleMania 32. Uh, dethroned that one in Arlington with 107 or 102,000, something like that attendees. Um, but then uh, 
if they put this up there, then they're going to have to acknowledge that that wasn't even freaking close because (laughs) according to Korean estimates and Eric Bischoff, over 300,000 people attended this wrestling show in North Korea, which would then also mean that the crowd was completely different. Nobody, nobody went to both nights, um, which I, I could see because there is no take from the gate of this. Uh, because it is a uh, the communist country, I should say, and there there was no paying admission, but there was uh, compulsory attendance apparently, according to uh, multiple storytellers in the Dark Side of the Ring and several articles uh, that I've read since. The weird thing is about that is that Scott Norton is talking about riding in a car to the event and seeing the the packs of people walking down the street towards the stadium. And he's, he talks about, man, this is an incredible gate. And the driver apparently turns to him and says, Oh no, these people are forced to go or they would get shot in the head. (laughs) Now, just several minutes before that, uh, Scott Norton is talking about how he just had a phone call with his wife and he was nearly executed for having a phone call with his wife for discussing uh, North Korea in a bad light. I can't imagine that the driver actually turned to him and said that because yeah. I think that driver would not be the one taking them back to the hotel then. He would disappear <laughs> during the event. Yeah. Um, and just for uh, for reference, Pyongyang had a had a population somewhere around 2.7 million in the mid 90s. So yeah, it's entirely possible that 150 different people, 150,000 different people showed up for night one and night two. Um, so uh, it's yeah, it is it's fascinating. The um, Melter Dave Melter also speculated about the. Uh, you know, the attendance kind of blowing up WWF's um, line about WrestleMania three. Um, so what we ended up watching is the pay-per-view that was released several months after the actual event. And uh, WCW cut together eight of the 15 matches, some from day one, some from day two, uh, and sold it as a pay-per-view. It did abysmally. It was, I think, got about 30,000 yeah. buys, which is um, like, which is not good. Um so that's that's what we uh, we're watching here for the show, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And the matches you can look on Wikipedia and see the full lineup for both days. Um, I don't think the full thing is out there anywhere, but I haven't looked that hard. Yeah, I mean the the proper name for this event was the Pyongyang International Sports and Culture Festival for Peace. Um, <laughs> so I mean that's a classic communist communist name everything is for peace um or for the people or else (laughs) right uh peace through submission this this was this event was the brainchild of antonio inoki uh the superstar japanese wrestling uh icon uh he's like rick flair and hulk hogan combined to the japanese wrestling scene plus tom Um, cruise plus jfk yeah the so JFK, that's an interesting comparison because the the reason why uh, Inoki wants to put this event on is to resurrect his political career as he is facing stiff competition and being reelected to the Japanese parliament. And uh, it news has broken that he has uh, mob ties, uh, specifically to the Yakuza. Um, and as we learn in the Dark Side of the Ring episode, the... Uh, uh, the guy that taught Inoki, um, gosh, what was Ricky his name? Dozan, 
Ricky Dozen uh, was actually North Korean and he hid that. And for some reason, uh, when that came to light, uh, the Yakuza got pissed and killed him. And uh, that actually kind of made him kind of like a North Korean martyr, which then gave Enoki uh, street cred in in Korea that they just accepted him because he had been trained by a North Korean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I should mention that, you know, the uh, it's never been, I guess, officially sort of claimed or whatever that the Yakuza was involved. That seems to be the the most common um interpretation of what happened with Ricky Dozan's death. Antonio Inoki has, has this brilliant idea to, to put on this wrestling show in North Korea and convince North Korea to do it. North Korea is like, sure. Uh, and, but he's like, <laughs> well, I need to get some bigger names. And so he calls up Eric Bischoff first wanting Bischoff to connect him with Muhammad Ali. I don't know why it was so important for Muhammad Ali to be there besides him being known as the most famous athlete in the world, um, which was kind of surreal. They never explain really his role there or what he's doing. He doesn't get involved in any of the matches. He doesn't do anything. Uh, It doesn't seem that he gives any kind of speeches or does an opening part of the ceremonies or anything like that. He's just there. Um they're like, hey, you want to go to North Korea? Sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as best I can tell, and you know, kind of reading between the lines of what the folks said on Dark Side of the Ring is that he was—he sort of had this image as this kind of like international, you know, ambassador for peace, you know, and he is—he had resisted the the war in Vietnam as you know as a as a Muslim, and he had uh, you know done done this this sort of thing. Uh, it would be another year before he shows up at the Atlanta Olympics as a sort of surprise guest, which kind of, I think, you know, I've read a lot about Muhammad Ali, and I think that's really what cemented him as, um, you know, the, the sort of the modern image of him uh, in this kind of iconic role. Um, and I kind of wonder, I mean, he would have maybe gotten that nod anyway, but this is, this is maybe a bit of a practice run for that almost. After Inoki gets Eric Bischoff to get uh, Muhammad Ali to, to do this, he Inoki then wants Bischoff to recruit uh, American wrestlers to come. And specifically, he wants Hulk Hogan. Um, but Hulk Hogan just basically says, that's going to be a no for me, brother. And um, which absolutely makes sense. Yeah. Uh, there's, I mean there's no way you send Hulk Hogan to North Korea in this environment because you can't have him come out to like that American made theme song that yeah, right? WCW or anything like that. Waving a big uh, ass flag. Yeah. So you already lose the WCW heavyweight champion. Cause that's he's, he's their heavyweight champion at the time. Uh, Ric Flair is retired at this point. Uh, his first retirement and Bischoff talks Flair out of retirement to come back to do this event. Um, it's quite a feat. Yeah. So I, yeah. I can't imagine it was that hard to talk no, him back into it. <laughs> I, I really doubt it was. Um, so they convince uh, him to do it. And then uh, road, the road warriors are in, but road warrior animal hurts his back again, supposedly. Uh, and so he ducks out, but only, uh, so only road warrior Hawk goes the Steiner brothers two cold Scorpio and Chris Benoit, but Chris Benoit actually wrestles under his nor, uh, new Japan name, uh, wild Pegasus at this point. 
Which is a hilarious name. That's Sounds an like, amazing uh, name. <laughs> like from Bill and Ted. Wild Pegasus. Did you mention <laughs> Scott Norton too? Oh yeah, Scott Norton. So Scott Norton also is a New Japan and WCW star. Uh, super ripped dude. Oh my god, oh that my guy's god. massive. <laughs> he was a, a like a world champion arm wrestler before he was a pro wrestler, and you yeah. uh, totally can see that. He is he has ninety percent arms and chest. He is it's he is he is like the biggest most muscular man i've i've seen in wrestling i think in a long time yeah he he so. is a slab of beef <laughs> yeah so they all hop on a plane they all get over to uh north korea um you know we we don't need to run through the whole dark side of the ring but that they were very closely monitored very closely guarded uh they were sort of shepherded around the country a little bit and kind of dragged out to these different um ceremonial and symbolic sites and then of course the north koreans filmed it and put it all on state tv and saying look how uh, you know, the Americans, they, they love our, our culture and they realize it's far better than theirs and, you know, all this this sort of stuff. Um, and there, they, there's uh, yeah, also Eric Bischoff. Bischoff also mentions that they did not ask the American government to for permission to travel to North Korea. They just went to Japan and then went to, from Japan into North Korea. That is and a terrible are, fucking idea. That is a real horrible idea. Irre- and North totally and irresponsible. Japan, yeah, and Japan was very blunt with them. It's like, we cannot guarantee your safety in North Korea. It's like, why are you going? Like, why are you doing this? But okay. Yeah. Um, and apparently, all the all the American wrestlers were just paid their normal normal booking rate. They weren't even like given like any kind of bonus pay or anything wow. like that. Um, yeah. Bad decision. And apparently, <laughs> upon landing. They, uh, the Koreans, uh, seized all their passports, all their technology, any kind of like any kind of American technology, specifically mm-hmm. like Discman's, their all their CDs and all that stuff. Any kind of tech like that were taken, but apparently they did not take Ric Flair's uh, Rolex, from what I've seen. <laughs> yeah, and any kind of uh, American culture stuff, like the music and uh, you know any magazines, reading material, and that kind of stuff. They didn't want that getting into the country. God knows the Koreans get a little taste of uh, oh, 94. Who would have, I don't know, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. And then it's, <laughs> it's all over. Communism falls. MC Hammer brings down everything. <laughs> That's who we should have sent. That's who we should have sent. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, it's it's fascinating. The The context for this is fascinating. The, the general um, audacity of it is um, is inspiring. I don't know what the right word is. All inspiring and in and, and its stupidity, honestly. Um, and when you watch the uh, dark side, Bischoff comes off as sort of an insufferable douchebag, which I, I think he probably is. Uh, and I think his first and foremost in his mind was like, oh, this is something that Vince would never be able to do. We're going to do it. and I'm going to shove it in Vince's face. I think that's yeah. 99% of what drove him over there. And then probably also he's like, well, Antonio Inoki's a cool guy too. None of these matches are special except for the Ric Flair versus Antonio Inoki. This was the first time they, they had ever wrestled each other. Um, but none of the other stuff, they, all the people that compete against each other have histories with each other and stuff like that. They, it's there's nothing unique about this show it's a very odd show to watch especially as an american wrestling fan uh you 
because you're used to heal and face and crowd reactions and stuff. And uh, the North Korean fans or attendees, I should say, have never seen professional wrestling before. There is no professional wrestling in North Korea, They, which is a horrible that you never want to go there because of that alone. But so they don't know what the hell they're watching. They don't know why there's all these acrobats acrobatics. They don't understand why these people are hitting each other. They don't understand the rules. They don't know them. And it's, it's so surreal to to just like watch this show and like see incredible wrestling moves and these are pretty good matches honestly yeah they're decent yeah it, and there's no crowd reaction and uh at one point during one match we'll get to it um a wrestler starts yelling at the crowd <laughs> yeah um so it's a uh, it's very it's very surreal to have a completely silent crowd especially if you Imagine how many people, you know, 50,000 more people, 60,000 more people than at WrestleMania 3 and not a damn sound. Um, so anyway, all right, let's get into it. Um, our announcers yeah. for this one are uh, Mike Tenay and Eric Bischoff uh, with Kazuo Ishikawa, a.k.a. Kazuo Ono, who was like the evil Japanese heel manager in WCW, if you remember. Um, Sonny Ono. Sonny Ono, yeah. It's very clear. Yeah. Um, that the commentary is recorded afterwards and it's just looped over the footage. Um, so it's it's not, I will say it's not apparent at first, but as it goes on, the announcers start talking about things that are going to happen after the show or, you know, after this, Ric Flair did that. And then you're like, oh, okay, I'm, we're watching sort of retro um, yeah. commentary, which, which is fine. It's not a big deal, but just something to be aware of if you're watching it. Yeah, so like this was not broadcast live anywhere this was prepackaged bundled up and and sent back to the united states i am impressed that they got the footage back to the united states honestly yeah yeah i can't yeah i don't know how they managed but they uh we got it and so we um the first match that we see on the uh, again this is pulled from youtube um is from day two it's match number four it's wild pegasus a.k.a. Chris Benoit, versus Flying Scorpio, a.k.a. Too Cold Scorpio. Um, so, you know, two big, pretty big WCW stars uh, at the time. And I think, you know, they clearly put this up front on the pay-per-view to kind of loop people in uh, and because uh, it's way out of place in terms of the order of the, the matches. Uh, yeah. But but Benoit, Benoit is especially, I mean, both these guys actually are, are really specimens. Uh, and yeah. Really, they're, they put on a pretty good match. Yeah, they're incredibly talented dudes, and uh, I just wonder if this is before or after Chris Benoit convinced Too Cold Scorpio not to kill Road Warrior Hawk. Uh, Scorpio tells some crazy stories on the dark side about how he stole some metal chopsticks from the restaurant and sharpened them into a shiv because he was totally going to shank Road Warrior Hawk because he called him the N-word and they had gotten into it. you should watch it for that story alone. Yeah, they got into a fight on the bus at some point, and during that fight is when Hawk calls Scorpio the N-word, and then according to Too Cold Scorpio, who is the only person that can tell the story because <laughs> Hawk is dead. dead by the filming of that, is uh, he he whooped Hawk's ass, and then 
later on in the trip, uh, Scorpio tries to, to bury the hatchet until at least they get back to Japan because he knows that committing murder in North Korea is going to be worse than committing murder in Japan. Uh, <laughs> so <Not> true. <laughs> uh, that's basically how he put it. So he and Hulk uh, just like steps away from him and then punches him as hard as possible across the face. And Scorpio's like, that's all you got. And then like comes at him and they have to be pulled apart by quote unquote, the Japanese guys, uh, yeah. as, as uh, Scorpio says. So I yeah. don't know that that story is, um, has a, has a whiff of bullshit to it, but then Norton, Scott Norton says, uh, well, Hawk was uh, on interferon for hepatitis C and it causes you to have flu like symptoms and feel very fatigued and weak and that kind of stuff. And he was basically sort of making excuses and saying if Hawk had been at 100 percent, he would have beat Scorpio's ass, which to me lends credence to the fact that maybe Scorpio did whoop on him at least once. Uh, but I don't know. Also, apparently Hulk ran out of his steroids as well yeah. <laughs> on the trip. So uh, maybe his like testosterone rage had calmed down some. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's lost. It's time. so in such an insane story. Uh, watch the dark side of the ring episode to catch it. It's fascinating. <laughs> well, these guys have a good match. Benoit is just so yeah. s- strong. He's, he's stupid strong. And Scorpio is so agile first and, you know he's he's not a small guy and he's um he's flying around uh you know and and doing his too cold scorpio stuff um his face is it's fucked up like he looks like sloth from the goonies like he seems like a fun guy like he seems like he'd be a cool guy to hang with and stuff but like man his his face is rough like I'd be afraid he's going to try to stab me. I don't. I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, it's but, uh, not good. It's not yeah. good. This match, one, uh, two cold Scorpio, doesn't look like the type of guy that can do the stuff that he does, but he mm-hmm. does it, and he does it well. Um, and then this is this is where you really notice how weird of a show this is. Is that like everybody visible is in a suit and tie or military uniform, and um, the camera is being held in such a way that you cannot see the real size of the crowd. So uh, you can't really tell. And a lot of this, because the, the it's such a huge stadium, the quote unquote pitch of the stadium is, is massive. It's like over 200,000 square meters, uh, according to the Wikipedia on this, on this run, grow first of May stadium uh, that, you know, seeing the seating bowl is going to be nearly impossible from with the camera <laughs> angle. So yeah. y- you could believe that there's only a thousand people there, maybe, or 150,000. You can't really tell. Yeah, they're, um, they're way the fuck out there in the middle of the field. And so it's it's interesting. Yeah. And the bell is not audible in the broadcast, which <laughs> makes it that. really hard. Yeah. Oh, that was the three count. That match is over. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So this match ends out of nowhere uh, because there's no bell. You can't tell that it's over. Yeah. Benoit nails that huge flying headbutt off the top for the win. It's uh, such an impressive move. And at the same time, you're like, man, don't do that. Come on. Yeah. We know what's coming. We know how this turns out. Um, Yeah. The second match that we see is from day one, match one. So this is the kickoff of the whole thing. Uh, it's Yuji Nagata uh, versus Tokimitsu Ishigawa, both from New Japan. Um, these are very 
technical submission kinds of guys. They are also ex- the exact same size, both wearing the basic black trunks and boots and with the same exact haircut. And I could not tell who was who through the duration of this match. No, it was very tough. And it was very obvious that it was a, a different time. <laughs> than... Yeah. Uh, so I really like this match though. This match looked like a, like a, like some of that old footage that you see from Madison square garden from the 1950s. Yeah. This like two, two burly manly men, like, hitting and grappling with each other. Like this match looks half shoot, you know, the way they're going. And, um, I really enjoyed it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, ends with a really nasty cross face headlock thing. Like the dude's like bending the guy's neck 90 degrees. And like, and the guy has to tap out like almost immediately. And like, I think he's nearly killed him with that. thing. (laughs) Yeah. Nagata gets the win. And that cross face is apparently called the Nagata lock three. Nice. So I don't even want to know what one and two look like. No, um, no, because Nagata lock three is bad enough. Yeah. Lock four, he just twists off your head and throws it out of the ring. It's like a, <laughs> it's like a Mortal Kombat fatality. Yeah, your spine <laughs> forward, forward, behind it, back, back, down a, and he just rips oh. it right off. Yeah, yeah, fun match. Uh, very, very unique. I mean, very not unique, but very different from if you're only used to sort of American style. Um, wrestling it it, uh, it may look a little odd um so there's um some footage then of a uh, kind of cultural festival i guess that they did uh to sort of sort of show off in north korea and they have all this like music and traditional garb and um i mean it looks like they went all out it looked like the freaking olympic opening ceremonies there and like hundreds of people musicians and dancers yeah. and flag people waving flags and like people Every holding up person. cards and the stands yeah Crazy. Yeah, every person in the, in the in the stadium also has a placard card and was clearly part of the choreography because they flipped that shit very you cannot pull that <laughs> off in like at like a at like a baseball game in the United States yeah, like okay no. you need to do like a wave rotation of your card so that it goes from looking like a mountain to an ocean wave now like yeah. and and they just do it they just do it like you could not pull that off at like Camden Yards like no yeah, no. we can barely manage a uh, wave. So it was just kind of scary. It was very reminiscent of the uh, the opening ceremonies to the Beijing Olympics, mm-hmm. which I don't know if you watched, but like that was like terrifyingly in sync to where like, oh well, the Chinese are just going to march right over us. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like something out of Triumph of the Will. Yeah. Um. Uh, the next one that we see is day one, match four. That's Ukami Gundan, uh, which is the name of a tag team featuring Hiro Saito and Masahiro Chono versus El Samurai and Tadeo Yasuda. Um, so we learned that Saito was trained by Luthez. That was pretty interesting. Um, I didn't take too many notes on this match. What did you do? Did you like this one? Um I, it was all right. I, yeah. It was a little. It was a little rough. Now, Chono <laughs> actually uh, is a former NWA World Champion. He had won mm-hmm. the World NWA World Championship in 1992, um, so that was kind of fun to see him here. Um, and then Mike Tanay informs us that El Samurai uh, picked up the name uh, was a became masked when he started wrestling in Mexico and he just kept the mask. And then because he wrestled in Mexico, he attached the word L to his, <laughs> to his name and nice. he kept it when he came back to Japan. Good um, for him. 
Yeah, there's. I I noted that uh, Yasuda is a monster of a man. He is huge. He's massive. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, I mostly just noted that like the commentary was off. This this is where like things start getting really really weird. Honestly, the ring announcer is we. This is the first time we see the ring announcer. And he is New Japan's ring announcer at the time, and he is dressed like he's in Sergeant Pepper's. That <laughs> um, there's no other way to describe it. It's it's a bright blue sequined 19th century military marching band mm-hmm. garb is the best way I can describe it. Um, and then the only other thing uh, that I really noted was that like Eric Bischoff at one point says, "I don't know if it's called an Irish whip in Japan, but that's what we call it here." Wait, like, okay. (laughs) In North Korea? Right. At this point, like, they were still trying to do the commentary to where they sound like they're in North Korea. But uh, that's, like, the first slip to where it's like, hey, maybe they're (laughs) not actually in Korea for this. Which, you know, none of the footage actually shows Eric Bischoff Mm -mm. in Korea. Like, like they show like Ric Flair and Scott Norton going to these sites and stuff like that. But you never see Eric Bischoff with them. Yeah. So did he actually go? I'm suspicious because he also talked about going for a run alone in Pyongyang. Yeah. yeah. How did he do that? Yeah. Like hell, they're going to let an American go for a jog by himself. He's like, oh, I went out at like 4 a.m. and nobody was out. And then people started waking up and they got all scared. I'm like, I I feel like I believe no. that Two Cold Scorpio <laughs> beat the fuck out of Hawk more than I believe that this happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Same. Um, so Chono pins uh, El Samurai after a shoulder block to get the win in this one. So Kami yeah. Gundam gets the, gets the victory. The next one up is a women's match. This is, again, back on, still on day one, match number two from the card. Uh, it's Akira Hokuto and Bull Nakano, who we've seen before, I think, yeah. um, versus Manami Toyota and Mariko Yoshida. Um, so this, I was interested about this one because I don't know why we see this on the pay-per-view instead of the Bull Nakano versus uh, Akira Hokuto uh, match was was which was a uh, CMLL World Women's Championship match from the second day. Like that to me would have mm-hmm. been a much more interesting match to throw on the pay per view. But I I have no idea why they chose this one. Um, probably they're just some time. holdover remnants yeah. of of it could be time. It could be also just like holdover remnants of like favoring tag team matches over singles. Uh, this gets more people on the screen. I don't know. Um, I really like this match. Did you? Yeah. Um, yeah, Bulma kind of was bit, kind of a big deal. Like, we've seen her before. Yeah. She's, she's a badass. Yeah. She gets compared to uh, Big Van Vader in this match by Mike Tanay <laughs> at one point. Yikes. Yeah. Um, what's funny is because, like, Eric Bischoff is landing some pretty sexist comments about, like, cooking and stuff like that against with these women. And Mike Tanay is just completely silent and not acknowledging them at all because Mike Tanay knows that all four of these women could kick their asses. <laughs> not a problem. Because uh, yeah. this is this is a tough match. They're moving fast. They're doing, they're doing real holds on each other. Um, like... Yeah, like uh, this poor, poor uh, Mariko, uh, Mari, Mariko, Mariko, Mariko Yoshida. Yeah. 
she gets put in so many different stretches <laughs> and holds by both uh, Bull Nakano and Akira Hakuto that I, I can't imagine that she was able to walk after this yeah. match. Like just they were doing everything you can imagine to her. <laughs> the uh, the win comes when Nakano uh, pins Yoshida after a big leg drop, like sort of a diving leg drop thing. Um, yeah, the the Bobby Eaton special, as I put yeah. in my notes, like yeah. the, the I guess the Alabama, the Alabama leg jam. drop or whatever. Yeah, yeah. just ooh, brutal. <laughs> This was a brutal match. Uh, at one point, uh, Bull Nakano does this uh, nasty uh, power bomb on uh, Manami Toyota that, like, I think Toyota's like knees actually hit her in the face because she gets folded so hard Thanks. on the mat. Like, oh man, Bull Nakano was not messing around in this match. <laughs> we need to look up some more of her matches on YouTube, maybe. And yeah. See. Um, this match looked a lot like Midnight Express versus Rock and Roll Express. There was lots of double drop kicks. There was the the Bobby Eaton leg drop from the top rope. Like I don't know if they were watching that before this match or what, but like it looked a whole lot like a Rock and Roll Express versus yeah. Midnight Express match. I guess it could be. Who knows, right? I mean, I don't know how much uh, yeah. U.S. wrestling they got over there in Japan. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. that was a good one. Um, I think maybe this next one was my favorite. I'm not sure. Uh, and this is, uh, again, day one, match number seven from that day. This is Scott Norton. Again, it's just a massive human being uh, versus Shinya Hashimoto, who is no slouch himself uh, for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. This is the definition of big meaty men slapping meat. <laughs> yeah, this is the only it's the only title match that we see on mm-hmm. on this on this pay-per-view. And this is night one main event. And yeah. uh, this is a hard-hitting, brutal match. Yeah, these guys just, they, they really go at it. Um, this one goes the full uh, 20 minutes and ends in a time limit draw. Spoiler alert. Um, so we don't have a, a clear winner, but nobody really yeah. seems to know or care. <laughs> or it goes Broadway, as they say in the business. Yeah, Broadway, yeah. Um, I don't know what they would say in Pyongyang, but no. You went Broadway. Um, yeah, this this match is is rough, and these guys are hitting each other. There's a lot of just like smashing into each other, um, and uh, at one point, uh, Hashimoto gets hit with a shoulder block from Norton, and he goes flying a good ten feet backwards, half of it in the air, and then goes rolling into the ropes and out of the ring, just in <laughs> in. But it doesn't, it, you would think that maybe that would sound like an oversell, but it wasn't an oversell no. because Scott Norton, is, you would swear he's 280 and he's 100% muscle and he was at full speed when he hit Hashimoto. And yeah. so there was just a lot of kinetic energy that had to go somewhere. Yeah, it's um, it's it's like 20 minutes of car crashes, honestly. Uh, I would I would recommend it <laughs> if you like that yeah. sort of thing. Um, Eric Bischoff says that Scott Norton is so strong that he could take the front bumper off a Cadillac. I don't know how many pounds of uh, pressure that takes. I don't know, but it's a lot. Yeah. And the crowd started sounding restless during this match because I I don't think they got it. Yeah, honestly, and I mean I'm not surprised because they've never seen pro wrestling before, so they don't understand uh, two beefy dudes <laughs> just pounding on each other for 20 minutes. <laughs> 
So here's a question. Do you think uh, the North Koreans would have seen sumo or been familiar with sumo? Like, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure what kind of sports they had. They would have exposure to there. I assume baseball. Baseball. Everybody plays baseball, right? Yeah. But yeah. I, I don't know if they... Actually, they might not have baseball just because baseball's mm. so American. Yeah. So I don't know. They might They might have had sumo. I mean, maybe I the know. Japanese left it behind, uh, you know, after they were in charge and sort of colonial, yeah. colonial days there. Or not, not colonial, but colonizing days um the imperial which is funny when you when you google north korean sumo you mm-hmm. get the wikipedia page for ricky dozen oh fascinating yeah so yeah i, mm. I don't know if they have uh if they, if they have any kind of sport besides like soccer or whatever there and gymnastics yeah. that's all like olympic sports and that's it i don't know yeah Anyway, I, the reason I asked is that that would have at least um, given them some sort of uh, uh, some sort of understanding, yeah, some yeah. For, for what they were watching. And there's a match yeah. later on who actually features. Um, is it the which one is it? Yeah, the the next match actually features a guy who yeah. is an ex sumo wrestler who actually kind of uses some sumo type moves in the in in the course of the match. Yeah. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Anything we get else more. To say chore- about- Go ahead. No, we get more choreography <clears throat> and pageantry footage at this point, uh, and then also I think we get like footage of the wrestlers out in the countryside or something. Uh, yeah. But uh, honestly, it was just like I I can't. This is <laughs> stop shoving North Korea down my throat. <laughs> like I really want to go to North Korea now that I watch this. Oh look, there's Ric Flair at a temple. Oh, do you think they're still? Sho- <laughs> you think they're still showing this footage over there? It's like, uh, like part of state TV. You're like, look, remember Probably. when these wrestlers came and had such a fabulous time in the '90s? Yes, yes. Remember <laughs> when we almost shot that guy because he called his <laughs> wife? <laughs> Scott Norton still sounds scared, honestly. Like on that, he does. Like, like they're going to find him. Yeah, when he's talking about that. Uh, that whole experience, he's, he still sounds really unnerved. Like he talks about how the best part of it for him was um, watching Inoki and Flair, which he says is, was the greatest match in the history of our sport. Uh, yeah. And in, in, he's still in awe at getting to meet Muhammad Ali and um, just, you know, just talk to him and watch him just be Muhammad Ali. Um, but the rest of it, he sounds like still terrified, which made me feel yeah. bad. <laughs> Poor dude. I hope he yeah. got some therapy. Yeah, he needs help. All right. So we move on to day two, match six. Uh, this is the next one on the pay-per-view. This is Road Warrior Hawk versus Tadeo Yasuda. And again, Animal was supposed to be there. This was supposed to be a tag match. Uh, he he was injured, so poor Hawk just ended up um, there. Bischoff says during this match and the one that follows uh, that, that WCW is where the big boys play approximately yep. 4,000 times. Uh, he just keeps saying it like a verbal tick, like... Like he's got some kind of obsessive compulsive thing where he just has to keep saying it's where the big boys play. Rich, WCW is where the big boys play. I don't know if you know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if you know that Cody Rhodes' dad was, was Dusty <laughs> and that WCW is where the big boys play. It and is. Um, that is the slogan that like they're they're adopting around this yeah. time period. And then by the time Nitro hits, it's every 30 seconds. 
it's WCW Nitro. Here comes the Macho Man where the big boys play. And uh, it even it gets to the point to where when the NWO shows up, when the outsiders show up, uh, Scott, uh, no, not Scott Hall, but Kevin Nash actually drops the phrase. So, Eric, you say this is where the big boys play here. Well, we're not here to play or something like that. But like, yeah. So that phrase just constantly is hammered away and it's obnoxious and it's horrible um, through everything. It's where the big boys play. Kind of makes me wish the North Koreans had shot Eric Bischoff. Got a better, better announcer. Uh, We learned that Hawk has been working in new Japan as part of a tag team, the Hellraisers, Um, And now he's making his sort of return to WCW. He was actually kind of working back and forth for both. as I understand it. Um, Bischoff asks if you can imagine sitting next to Hawk on an airplane with those spiked shoulder pads. Like, does he really think that like he wouldn't take him off to go through security and like that? He just walks around with them all the time. Like that's the dumbest question I've ever heard. Yeah. That's like WWF, like mid eighties commentary of like fucking stupid, you know? Yeah. So this, this is the match where in the middle of it, uh, Hulk is so unnerved by the basically silent crowd that he stands on the second rope and screams at them to get into it and to start cheering and starts like saying the F word at them. And it basically becomes unhinged. Well, he did run out of his steroids as we've learned. So, yeah. Yeah, no, he's not happy. He he ain't having it. Um, so, yeah, we learned that Yasuda is an ex-sumo wrestler. And he actually starts off with some, like, pushing and slapping, uh, you know, straight yeah. from straight from sumo. And Hawk actually sells for him, which I don't think yeah. I've ever seen him sell for anybody. Like No. He, actually, he sells for approximately 30 seconds in this yeah. match. <laughs> and he allows himself to be kind of pushed back into the corner. Um, he takes a big shoulder block from the sumo guy at one point. Um, but then, you know, that's about as long as all that lasts. Yeah, uh, then uh, Yasuda locks Hulk into a double underhook suplex, and uh, Hulk no-sells it, bounces right back to his feet, (laughs) and just, like, yells in his face and starts punching him. And then uh, Hulk uh, catches Yasuda with a flying clothesline from the top rope, basically um, doomsday device without, you know, half the doomsday, (laughs) and uh, gets the win um, in fairly unbelievable fashion. Two minutes and 20 seconds, yeah. start to finish, including the break for yelling at the crowd. Right. So. <laughs> That's the intermission. You know, he fights, yeah. for, fights for a minute, yell for 20 seconds, fight for another minute. So Yeah. Yeah. No, um, and Yasuda is, is as big as Hawk here. Like, he's he's not a little dude at all. No, um, I would argue he's bigger. He's 6'3", and Hawk was also 6'3", but they're, yeah. they're both large dudes yeah so i just wrote well that was something because yeah. that was something yeah and the it next one was. then the next one we see is uh again from day two match seven uh we're winding down here it's the steiner brothers uh on one side and hiroshi hase and kens uh kensuke sasaki on the other side um and i wrote that good god if bischoff says where the big boys play one more time i'm gonna snap um <laughs> Hase has a magnificent porn stash. It is, yeah, it is, a, it is a thing of beauty, and I love I it. I would argue that porn stash is where the big boys play. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ! Podcast <laughs> over. <clears throat> uh, they shake hands before the match, but it doesn't matter because the Steiners are just gonna beat the piss out of you. Because that's and that's basically what they do in this match. There's yeah. nothing. There's there's no 
real to the there's no real substance to this match uh at one point uh rick uh, no scott steiner presses hase over his head and throws him out of the <laughs> ring like he's a bag of ice from 7-eleven and he throws him into like some of the new japan wrestlers which were kind of just like standing around the outside yeah. of the ring for no reason i i don't understand why they're all out there i don't know if like they're not they they couldn't hide in the back like yeah. the north koreans insisted that once you go out to the ring you got to stay out there or something but maybe and they're in matching jumpsuits as well well then yeah they're not standing out there like in AEW to like waiting to catch the guy they're just they're just hanging no. out like and then all of a sudden scott steiner's throwing people on top of him like i yeah, wrote down it's... i wrote down that scott is stupid strong and almost immediately uh, starts trying to kill people. So yeah, that's, that seems to be his goal. <laughs> yeah, they're blowing off some steam from the security or something. Seriously. I thought it was in, it was interesting that they are conspicuously absent from the documentary. Yeah. Um, but uh, Eric Bischoff turns to uh, Sonny Ono because that's the name that I know him by, uh, and says, "What do you think the fans are thinking of the Steiners?" And Sonny Ono doesn't miss a beat and just says, "They're a couple of crazy Americans." That's <laughs> I agree. I yeah. agree. Yeah. Um, Rick gives somebody a belly to belly that looks like near fatal. Yeah. Um, he lands on uh, his head. He lands on his head. <laughs> the Steiners are on top for a good while, and Hase throws Rick w- with a big belly to belly of his own. Sasaki comes in with a hot tag, but he gets stopped, and then the, he double clotheslines the Steiners, which I don't really believe. Um, he has a glorious mullet that sort of offsets Hase's beautiful. Yeah porn stash i think if they put those two things on one person they that's definitely where the big boys play that would definitely yeah all the people in the world would have sex with that person um (laughs) and the the announcers uh, are talking about how the steiners are struggling professionally because they can't control their emotions and i kind of think that might be a shoot because you're like these guys need some fucking medication (laughs) like whatever Whatever issues they're dealing with, they keep trying to murder people in the ring, and they need to get it under control. Yeah, this was definitely like New Japan Steiners and not uh, the WCW or the WWF Steiners that were slightly tamer. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, there's there's this great footage of like um, Rick, uh, Scott Steiner wrestling somebody, and he's like, oh, yeah, you want to see what I do to you and do to this guy. And then he like drops him right on his head. <laughs> just like, just, just like drops him on his head. Uh, yeah. This. So Scott Steiner gets the pin in the ring while Rick and Sasaki are brawling on the outside. There's no Frankensteiner. There's no finisher or anything like that. It's just kind of like he hits him really hard and pins him. And that's yeah. the win. That is the worst camera cutaway I've ever seen, actually. Um, Scott yeah. has Hase up for the pile driver, and he's like just about to to deliver it, and the camera yeah. cuts to Rick fighting Sasaki on the floor. Like, it cuts away at, like, the money shot. Or, like, yeah. you're waiting for the big boys to play, and you drop them in the pile <laughs> driver, and now all of a sudden we're down to these guys on the floor. It's total bullshit. I hope that cameraman was executed immediately by the North Korean government. I hope his family is still in prison yeah. because that was terrible. Maybe maybe either Scott, while doing it, yelled, uh, <laughs> I hate North Korea, or maybe maybe North Korea has some sort of uh, concussion protocols where you can't even see yeah. a concussion happen. I'm sure uh, that's because guarantee there's no way in hell that dude like did not suffer some sort of head injury from that. I think he uh, yelled uh, death to Kim Il-sung when he had him up there. Oh, oh yeah, that's it. He's done for. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that match was. Um, it, uh, I'm gonna file it under the hard to watch. It's uh, it's yeah. not great. It's a bit of a mess. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The the commentary yeah. is is maybe the best part actually. Uh, so I'm still I'm still thinking about the Steiners in like couples counseling, where they're like trying to <laughs> like work through their emotional issues and why they have yeah. such violent outbursts and try to murder people all the time. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it, they've got some problems. <laughs> to put it mildly, um, we go backstage with uh, Bischoff I mean, and one Tanae. of them barks. All the time, he just barks. Yeah, he does bark, yeah. <laughs> and the crowd—he barks here, and the crowd, of course, has no idea what the hell's going on. They're like, "No, is this a man dog?" It's just, yeah. Anyway, um, and we also get some backstage video of Anoki and Flair getting ready for their matches. Um, very stagey, very uh, not yeah. real. Um, and that brings us to our main event. Of course, this is day two, match eight. So this is the main event of the second day, as it should be. Uh, this is Antonio Inoki, um, the great Antonio Inoki versus Ric Flair, fresh out of his retirement. Um, I was I was kind of worn out till we get to this main event. To be awesome, to be honest, um, yeah. Like I was, I was hoping for this to be good, and it was all right. But I don't know that it was worth the trip. You know. Um, I'll just say that Inoki is is just he's such a matinee idol. He's got like. He's got like this like comic book jawline. He's got his trademark red scarf, um, but man, are his legs tiny! Like they don't. Yeah, he needs to get leg day going. They don't he's do leg day bird, in Japan, he, I guess. I don't he's know. got bird legs, and um, <laughs> I mean, this is really late in his career at this point, too. Because yeah. I mean, Antonio Noki started wrestling before Ric Flair started wrestling, so uh, this is this is real late stage Antonio Noki, and. Um, yeah, he's he's got that Sergeant Slaughter jaw, like, yeah. but to the point to where it's definitely like a severe underbite that I'm surprised that no dental expert ever wanted to correct. Um, <laughs> yeah, he debuted in 1960, and Ric Flair debuted in 1972, so yeah. 12, 12 more years in the ring than uh, Flair yeah. at this point. Flair looks absolutely exhausted walking to the ring. Yeah, and the out. Korean crowd doesn't get it. They don't understand why he's wearing the fancy shiny robe. They don't. They probably aren't even familiar with the song that's being played for him. And yeah, it's mm, no <laughs> Flair flops. This is this is a big old flop for Flair. Yeah. Well, it's interesting though because that's if this were on American soil, right? He he would be there to, to get over, but it's not. And he's there to put Anoki over. And that's, that's pretty much what happens. He sells for Anoki yeah. for, for a good long time. He takes a, a multiple attempts at a figure four, bunch of right hands. It gets tossed over the corner. Um, Flair kind of makes a little bit of a, of a comeback. He does his, his big elbow drop. Um, he gets this weird, uh, Anoki gets him with this weird, like flip kick thing. And then Flair does his face bump that we love so much. Um, Anoki looks awkward here but i think it's just kind of his style uh yeah and that's just kind of the way he he did it and it's well and he's also an old man at this point <laughs> but yeah uh, i always pictured enoki being like really big and rick flair being kind of a, on the smaller side but then when yeah. they're in the rain together they're almost exactly the same size yeah uh there's you know flair is doing his standard stuff he's working the leg that go for the figure four uh enoki impressively doesn't reverse the figure four or get a rope break he muscles himself out of it which is just 
really kind of an impressive looking feat that he does and something that I think we only see like Hulk Hogan do, you know, but Inoki still got it, you know, in this match, I would say. And the crowd finally starts warming up to like what's going on. And I think it's just because they might have somewhat have heard of Antonio Inoki somehow. Um, And they're starting to get into the event some. But, you know, I think if this had happened in a savvy crowd in front of a savvy crowd they would have you know because like flair and enoki do a great job of like standing off and like sizing each other up at the start to really really build some tension and some heat between them and the crowd just isn't getting it because if that was happening in like greensboro the crowd would have that the stadium would have been melting down um but you know, Inoki still does some impressive stuff. So, like, uh, Flair goes for, like, a European, like, forearm uppercut on on Inoki, and Inoki catches it and spins Flair around into a backslide. Uh, and um, Inoki, of course, does catching Flair on the top rope. He does that classic spot. Inoki reverses a body slam attempt into a hurricanrana, like, Holy shit, dude! You're old. <laughs> and you're he's six old. foot you, three. Right. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> he's two inches taller than Flair, and he he flips yeah. that thing around. Yeah, that was that was an impressive impressive maneuver, and like, and then Flair and and Inoki get into this like exchanging uh, strikes thing that just looks great it looks like a million bucks and the crowd's still going "Eh, i don't know like this is intense (laughs) this is great and come on people get with it yeah and then enoki lands his famous kick to the back of the head and that's one two three on rick flair yep that's the end like and because you can't hear the bell i i actually kind of missed that the match had ended i'm like oh wait oh shit um yeah yeah, I just wrote WTF. I'm like, what the hell was that? Um, so Flair gets up and like is trying to get over to Anoki and looking in a kind of aggressive way, you know, like he might do something dastardly. And Anoki is sort of standing off, and you know, again, this is all for for show, and um, and it's completely yeah. lost on the crowd. But then he just yeah. shakes Anoki's hand, uh, you know, sort of sign of respect. They seal the deal there, and that's the end of the show. Fireworks, cue the cue the credits, ship yeah. Bischoff back to the states, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. It, it, it's such great tension at the end and yeah. it's just lost because the crowd isn't reacting to it, yeah. but there's, you, you really legitimately don't know what flair is about to do after, after he lost. And, uh, that tension is just, meh. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is, um, you know, the guys on um, the dark side of the ring talk about, you know, watching the crowd kind of come alive a little bit during that match and, and really, um, you know, just, just sort of the force of the effort from both of the guys kind of getting them to finally get into it in a, in a limited way at least. Um, but because the, of the way the stadium's set up and the audio is so bad, um, you can't even really tell on the, um, very well on the video that, that that's what's happening. Like, yeah, um, it's kind of, you know, it's not like you suddenly hear this like roaring crowd or anything. It's just like maybe a little more background noise than what you've been used to. Yeah. And so, Oh man. Well, what a, what a show. We're glad those guys got home safely. It sounds like it was touch and go at multiple points. Um, I don't, here's, here's a lesson folks. Don't, don't go to like communist, like dictatorships to, uh, try to, establish peace through wrestling it doesn't work um i'm you know points for trying 
but uh, it's, you know, it's not good. Yeah. It's dangerous. I mean, Eric Bischoff expected so much out of this event, so much attention. And I think only like a reporter from CNN went and a <laughs> yeah. reporter from ABC News went. Yeah. And the reporter from ABC News only went because she had been trying for years to get access to go into North Korea and saw that this was an opportunity to do so. And, um, yeah, so like it garnered almost no attention. It's one of the lowest buy rates of a pay-per-view for WCW, probably because not, it didn't have any storyline build up or anything like that. Because yeah. at this time, people cared about that stuff. It's basically an um, exhibition. Right. It's an ex. It's not. A, I wouldn't even call it like a super card. No. The only real super card match on this is the Antonio Inoki versus Ric Flair. Anything. Everything else is just like this is this is an exhibition. We've brought New Japan and WCW here to give you a sample of what pro wrestling is, and then here's an all-star match that will never you'll never see again. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Have a great day. Yeah. Um, so, do you have a favorite match from this one? I think the women's tag match is probably yeah, my favorite. That was solid. I like yeah. that one. I, I'm going to go with Scott Norton. Actually, yeah, I'm going to go with Scott Norton versus Shinya Hashimoto. This guy's just ramming into each other for 20 minutes it's great yeah i just um, wish it didn't go 20 minutes yeah. i think that's that's the detriment to, for it for me is i was like this is a lot for 20 minutes yeah um i think i mean the card is, that we saw is short enough that i actually don't think it's even fair to pick a worse match because there's none of them are inherently terrible or anything there's some that are maybe a little less exciting than others i don't know do yeah. you have any thoughts I mean, if I had if if I had to pick a worse one, I would maybe do the um, do the Steiners versus Hase and <laughs> Sasaki, just because it never seemed to get off the ground. And it was just the Steiners being like abusive to people. Yeah. But I, and it's still not even that bad. So yeah. um, I wouldn't complain if that came on my TV and I was watching wrestling. I wouldn't be like, oh well this is horrible and turn it off just be like oh okay steiners have <laughs> mental issues let's yeah. let's move on that's only 11 and a half minutes you'll you'll make it yeah, that, yeah that's fair um i would probably give multiple pieces of that match my oh shit moments i'm not sure which one um it could be scott steiner trying to kill everyone he he touches could also be rick steiner trying to kill everyone he touches i'm gonna go with that absolutely terrible um camera cutaway on the finish that's my oh shit moment because it made me furious like if yeah. I were the throwing my phone type, that that would have been me throwing my phone. Yeah, I, my oh shit moment. I I'm, you know, I I was caught off guard by Steiner just immediately picking up uh, Hase and throwing him out of the ring, like not like we're not having a match. Just get out of here. But I think I think Bulnakano with the Bobby Eaton special from the top rope, I think is going to be because that's when I was like. Oh shit! That was awesome. <laughs> like that—that that stopped me for a second. So yeah, she is I think I'm not go fooling around. Yeah, she was great. No. Um, so well, I'm glad we got to watch it. You suggested that we watch this one. I hadn't. I had actually. I had seen the uh, Dark Side of the Ring episode come across the you know the DVR initially, but I'm like, I don't know what that's about, and so I never watch it. So I'm glad we got a chance to go back. Um, and I think it was a good. It's a weird thing, and it's an interesting time capsule, and it's. Uh, it's it's totally and completely unique. I think among the kinds of shows that we've watched, so I think it was a good it's a good fit. Yeah, I mean it it, it brought in 
elements of New Japan Pro Wrestling, which we have not watched yet on this show. Uh, it got into an era of WCW that we really haven't watched much of either. And you throw in the weird attempt for international diplomacy. All you're really missing is Dennis Rodman in the show. And <laughs> you, you got it. Yeah. And I believe the show happened right after they had a leadership change in Korea. So like yeah. it was also done as like a memorial to the previous leader. I don't want to try and butcher the person's last name in case someone in North Korea happens to hear this and decides to find my house. Um, but I, it, it's, there's so many weird circumstances around this. And then you try to wrap your brain around the fact that there's possibly 300,000 people that have watched this event in person. Yeah. And they also had the no choreography. <laughs> and and flip, flip those cards on time. <laughs> right. It, it's, it's, it's a spectacle yeah. to, to say the least, but then it's a poorly shot spectacle at the same yeah. time. Poorly shot, so, and poorly mic'd. Yeah. I, you know, I don't regret us watching this. I think no, it's, it's a very fun. important show to throw into our catalog because it is, it is an enigma upon itself that it's... needs to be studied and discussed. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the leader had died was Kim Il-sung. Uh, he had died somewhere in the, the previous year. So they actually, they forced the wrestlers to go, um, pay homage to his body, which is lying in state. So it's been laying out there in the, in the plaza for like going on a year at the time that they went to, um, to see it. And of course, as, as the way it works in North Korea, the, the son of Kim Il-sung, um, had become the, the next Supreme leader in line and on and on down the road. Um, it's fascinating that a country that is communist is using like a monarchy, like yeah. method and, and, and heredity to determine its leadership. It's fascinating. Hey. All animals are equal, but some are more equal than others, right? Yeah. Um, uh, two so. legs bad, four legs good. Hell yeah. <laughs> As we always do, pay tribute to the men and women we've seen who are no longer with us. We'll, we'll start it with uh, Supreme North Korean leader Kim Il-sung. Um, and it's well, our in memoriam section for the collision in Korea includes Antonio Inoki, uh, Chris Benoit, Road Warrior Hawk and Muhammad Ali, who's not shown in the pay-per-view, um, but he's in the audience and we see him in the dark side of the ring and he's a legend, obviously, so include him. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks for uh, taking a trip to 90s era North Korea with us. We, we made it all back uh, just in time, I think. Uh, not being thrown into state prison, so congrats on that, Did everybody. Your passport back? No, actually. <laughs> I guess I'm stuck for a little while. Um, but if you, uh, you know, check us out on all the social medias, obviously Facebook and Instagram and X, uh, the Wrestling Archives. You can, uh, if you're interested in uh, tossing some shekels our way to help support the show, it's ko-fi.com slash the Wrestling Archives wrestling archives not the wrestling archives uh we also have a t public store just look for wrestling archives podcast and you can find our our cool designs by rich um buy a shirt support the show that way um let's see what else um the wrestling archives podcast at gmail.com i believe and the wrestling archives.com is our website so we love to hear from you shoot us a, a note tell us what you want us to watch next and uh, we'll have some more um 
great shows coming up real soon. More interviews, more uh, classic wrestling to watch. And so for now, I'm your co-host, Tim. And I'm your co-host, Rich. Signing off, and we'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.